Amen. And as we agree on those things together, would you receive them, take them to the Lord and ask God to help make sense of where those things might apply in your life as we sing these words out loud that God won't fail. Could he build your confidence in him through the singing, even in the midst of seasons of difficulty? It's good to see you all this morning. Um, As I mentioned before, my name is Eric, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here, Um, but we have uh, a few other pastors here on staff, and some of you all know we come together every Wednesday, and we have what I call a preaching collective, um, and we discuss some of the sermon topics and even build series out together. We talk about future stuff that we feel like maybe God is putting on our hearts to deal with, Um, and then we talk about usually the sermon two weeks out in more in-depth, so that we have kind of a a, a multifaceted, multi we're all reading different commentaries and bringing in different perspectives and have this conversation around what those things are. <clears throat> in fact, the idea of this series that we've been in, All Love, came from Pastor Ken. Um, and, and even today's topic is one of the interesting things because usually what we'll do is like, oh man, I'm really feeling that. Like you come up with some idea or some aspect of a series, like that's it. I'm going to run with that. I'll do it um, you know, when I preach on this time and you'll do this. And there was just a, a, a collaborative moment is something that God had laid on my heart that Pastor Ken brought up in the midst of it. And he said um, this phrase that didn't really connect with me. And um, it was this idea that love has evidence, that there's an evidence that gets left behind. I'm like, that's cool. You got that one. And um, as it came around to my time, it was one of those moments. It's like, man, sometimes we need to live in each other's worlds. And he said that to me, and I had just felt like the Holy Spirit, you know, a few weeks mentioned that to me. It was like he was holding me accountable to something that God um, mentioned to me. I'm getting the sign. I forgot to release the kids. All right, they're like holding up the sign, waving it like, bro, come on. All right, sorry, y'all. Kids, please forgive me. Kids are dismissed. I just went for it. <laughs> they're just like casually smiling at me, drinking coffee too. Like, when are you going to do this, man? Well, now I got to rebuild that. We have this thing called the Preaching Collective. Bye, y'all. Have fun. <laughs> they're, all, they're all very relieved. <clears throat> And so um, I guess one of the things is like we we're, we're talking through this idea of like sometimes I think you need to live in my world and do a topic I come up with and then I need to live in your world and do a topic you come up with. And I'm like, you know what, you're right. I think we should do that. And as soon as we started to collaborate on it, it was like, even though it wasn't my initial idea, it was Pastor Ken's, Jody and I um, were in this collective together and just ideas started to flow out of this. And we saw this immediate fruit of having to switch around those ideas. And, and, it, and the whole idea was revolving around this kind of idea. When you look at the evidence of something, right? Whether you're watching a show, CSI, I know that I'm not really into that, but it's real popular right now. If you like detective saying, maybe you read a Sherlock Holmes, book at some point in your life, and um, the evidence points you in a direction. It leaves some sort of trace behind a clue that you have to put together and follow those clues to where it takes you. And, and like you can think detective work or DNA fingerprints and those kinds of things that get you there to solve a case and catch whoever's responsible for it. But, but what, 
what I want to point out is that we actually are little detectives all the time, right? As we go throughout our day and we are interacting with our senses, coming to conclusions, inferring different things. And I started to think kind of in the more obscure senses, obviously vision is one of the most um, apparent. Um, but, but I started to think of some of the other ones. Like, when, have you ever walked into a room? Oh, sorry, not, not walked into a room. But have you ever tasted something? And you could kind of like, oh, this has this in it, this flavor, this ingredient. Um, some of you with a very well-developed palate, right, can get that. I remember being at Thanksgiving, and my brother and I were hanging out, and uh, he took a taste of the cranberry sauce, and just kind of in this true silly fashion, he looks at me, he's like, do I detect a hint of orange juice in this cranberry sauce? I'm like, I don't know. Emily's like, yeah, I did put orange juice in that cranberry sauce in this recipe, right? And so he could tell by this taste that, that led him to it. If you hear a crash in the distance, you can conclude, you know, if there's a road over there, maybe an accident happened. It's a very specific sound that you can become attuned to, right? Have you ever had a situation, if, for those of you who have kids or have been around kids enough, you can kind of tell when there's a cry somewhere or a yell somewhere, like, no, that one's fake. Just let that one go. That's not a big deal. Or like, hold up, hold up. That's a real one. Like, that's the blood-curdling kind. I need to go out and deal with this situation. So you're taking these clues on a regular basis. I think scent is a good one. And it reminded me of this moment when I was a kid where um, I would walk into a room and I could smell my dad's cologne. So I knew he had been in the room. He'd been getting ready or whatever it was. And it was a specific kind of cologne. Even when I smell it today, it's not very common, but it reminds me of him. And I knew his essence, his, the odor of who he was, right, that was like his signature scent was in this room, and it led me to that conclusion. Um, how many of you have had this experience when you, the, you know, the street lights come on, it's late at night, it's time to like go home, I'm playing as a kid, and I get there, before I even open the door, I can tell mom's cooking dinner in there, because the scent is coming out, it's just kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's, a, I almost said reverberating, that's a sound uh, description. What's a good scent sound? It's floating in the air? There's got to be a better one. What? Per there we go. Per wafting. All right. I'm going to crowdsource this uh, illustration. But it's like mom's cooking, right? Like I know she, there's something good on the other side of this door for me right now. I just need to open this door. And you know it before you enter it, right? You, you're always putting in these clues, taking things in that, that are in there. Well, um, have, you, have you had that experience before? Can you kind of think of ideas, moments where you put some clues together and you realize that, that all the time you're kind of like this little detective doing this throughout your day, pointing you towards conclusions. And so what does this have to do with the idea of love? Well, I want you to hear this verse in 2 Corinthians 2. Um, I, I don't know if it's up there. Is the 2 Corinthians one? I don't know if I sent that. Oh, yeah, perfect. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 2, 14. And I'll just read 16, the first part of 16, because um, it changes directions. But it says this, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, for among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Now Paul's building this idea that his followers are the aroma of Christ. It's the evidence, this lingering evidence even of his presence after he has gone on. So real quick, what I want us to do is recognize since we are the lingering aroma of Christ, just turn to your neighbor, look at him and say, you stank. You stank. I'm just kidding. I didn't think you all would actually do that. <clears throat> you might catch a, a backhand if you say it to the wrong person. 
It says, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. So the evidence of Christ will either be good, an aroma pointing to, to life for some, or an aroma of death pointing towards death. Now, stop and consider that idea just for a little bit. Right? Some scents are uh, pleasing to us. It may not be pleasing to others, but this is kind of like this universal idea that this scent stays the same, and depending on your heart posture, it will either be pleasing and leading to life or not pleasing and leading to death. But that also means that you can be in a situation where somebody enters into a place or a moment or encounters a person or encounters an entire community of people who have been so formed, so shaped by Jesus, that the evidence is apparent and they can just sense that the divine was here with them. They've been with Jesus. I can tell that they've been with Jesus. And if you catch that sense of Christ, one of the questions you have to decide is, is that good or bad to me? Will I receive that and be pleased by it or will it be a problem for me? Well, I want to um, land here in the Gospel of John, cha- verse 9, chapter 8. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible to turn to it or click over to it on your device. John 9, verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8. I'm going to do a little setup because it's kind of a long section, and then we'll read um, the section together. So what's going on is that there was a blind man. The disciples asked if he's blind due to his sin or his parents' sin, to which Jesus tells him, uh, that was a common belief at that time, by the way, uh, uh, but, but to which Jesus says it's, it has nothing to do with sin. This was so that the, God, the power of God might be made known, might be put on display through this man as Jesus heals him. And what I want you to notice, because there's so many directions we could take that, I want you to notice how people respond to Jesus healing this person. And there's a few different um, uh, players on the field here. Verse 8 says this. The neighbors, all right, that's our first group. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So this first group of people, they just seem to be confused. It's almost like they don't know how to process what has happened to them. They, it, it's like clear in this situation, he is a fixture in their community. They've passed by him, probably given him some money at some point in time, or food, or helped him out, or ignored him over and over again. But they like know this is the guy who stays in this place, very likely. They're used to seeing him, and they are so astonished by what has happened, they either can't believe it, or they're in denial that this is the same man. He's like trying to come in, no, 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 it it really is me. It was me. They're like, I don't know, man, I'm not sure. I don't know what he did. Maybe he changed his appearance. Maybe maybe something has happened. Maybe just the the sheer shock of a miracle taking place was hard for them to process. We'll keep reading in verse 13. It says, they brought to the Pharisees, that's our next group of people, the man who had formerly been blind. Now, now our second group, Pharisees, I want you to see how they received the odor of Christ. Verse 14, now it was Sabbath day, um, <clears throat> sorry, a Sabbath day, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. 
Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Well, there's a reason for that division. This disagreement is based on kind of their interpretation of Jesus's actions, right? This healing is either a sin because it was performed on the Sabbath, breaking one of their um, traditions, or it was a miraculous sign. And whichever side you landed on, you, you kind of took a side. So do you see how they're trying to kind of figure out this, how they're trying to receive the fragrance of what Jesus has done? They're both taking in the same moment. They're both receiving it in. They're both trying to translate what they've seen. And after all, this law has cautioned them at times in Deuteronomy 13 that, that people might try to lead them astray with performances and signs and wonders. So in some ways, just doing due diligence. We want to make sure that this person is on the up and up. But the rest of this starts to reveal the heart behind it. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So they bring in some witnesses. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born, born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, well, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They've concluded this already. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I'm going to read that again. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Do you see how they're kind of digging in? to some of these questions. He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now, I think he's kind of being cheeky with that one, right? Like, are you trying to switch some allegiances here, good Pharisee? And they probably get more upset when you do something like that. He's poking the bear. Now, if you know parents, um, and you probably know a few, you are likely to be incredibly excited if your son who is born blind all of a sudden has his sight back. There is nothing but good news. You don't ask the question of how did this happen. Maybe you want to know later on, but in that moment of first revealing that, this is good news. That the odor of Christ that leads to life has been apparent and, and breathed in and the odor of Jesus is being taken as something that leads from life to life. But the parents are also scared because they're interacting. It says that they feared the Pharisees and they were trying to get them and they were trying to get out of that situation. The Pharisees are kind of like this spiritual deodorant, right? I don't know what your brand is. Um, 
But they're masking the fragrance of God to some extent, right? Not, not necessarily trying to avoid it, but like well, maybe it was this or maybe it was that. I want to, I want to cover that up. Maybe, maybe you've got a really a favorite candle and you'd like to have something that covers up another smell. That, that idea that you might just try to, I, I can't erase what happened. I can't change it. This smells here. I'm just going to like add something over the top of it. And even as this man tries to reason with them, they're refusing to accept his testimony. They double down. There's beauty in what has just occurred, but they're refusing to see it. In fact, verse 28 says this, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why is this an amazing, why this is an amazing thing? That's a statement. Let me reread it. Why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So this man offers the experts his own interpretation. He's an untrained person, and they have been in school for Torah studies for their entire life, and he gets it right. God listens to the righteous, not the sinner. So the man who healed him must mean maybe this wasn't because of sin. Now we get the benefit of knowing that Jesus opened this up by letting his disciples know, no, this wasn't because of sin. There's something else going on here, but they double down on their own tradition. They're like, no, no, no. This miracle must be problematic because you're the sinner. They can't rewire that. They can't reorder that. They're having trouble with it. One commentary says that the self-styled experts bristle at the man's spiritual insight and resort to an appeal to the traditional theology linking his disability with sin. John's already pointed out to us, right? He wants us to know from the beginning that when, when it gets to this point that we already know the answer because Jesus told us already. It's not because of sin. It's so that they would glory in God's power. That they would see the love of Christ in this moment expressed to this man in the streets and revel in the moment. Now, I can't help but think that this man wants to revel in the moment himself. He just encountered a miracle, and he was the person who experienced, who walked through it. He doesn't want to argue with Pharisees right now. I mean, have you ever seen one of those stories, like, like um, when someone goes through a surgery or they're able to use some sort of device or uh, 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 a, a kind of glasses that allows them to see something they haven't seen before, to look at one of their loved ones that they've never seen before, to see color for the first time. I bet this man wants to celebrate. He is seeing colors and shapes for the first time. He is standing in this landscape of the world he has existed in his entire life and all of a sudden there is textures and there is light and there are deep hues and he gets to discover all of it all at once. For the first time he sees the faces of those he has only heard passing by on the road. And I can't help but think at times he's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't envision them looking like that. I don't know. I thought he'd be taller. The guy spoke with so much presence, I thought he'd be stronger, you know? Like, oh, that's, that's the one who makes fun of me. Okay, all right, I see you. 
And then he gets to look deep into the eyes of people he know who are faithfully caring for him. With thankfulness that even though I had nothing to offer when I was on the streets, you cared about me and to actually have eye contact with those people for the very first time. I mean, this is not an arguing with Pharisees moment. This is a tears of joy. If you've ever watched those videos, you start to tear up with all of these people. Like, like, like you're, you're watching it, having a hard time not crying yourself. Tears of joy, awe and wonder, to see an expression of discovery that has happened for the first time. This is only hugs and celebration. This is only joy and shouts of exclamation. And on the other hand, the Pharisees can only see sin. They accuse the man healed. They accuse Jesus of sin. They create fear in those who have observed it so they can't enter into that moment of joy with their son. The evidence of Christ's love is palpable and all they can see is death. Now, up to this point, the clues of Jesus' presence are the only things that people have had to go on. Right? They, they haven't talked to Jesus directly. It's just his actions. They serve to point him, them towards someone else. But they're asking these questions like, where is he? Where, where does he come from? No one knows who he is. Isn't he a sinner? Uh, you know, what, what, where, what, what happened to this guy who did all of these things? So he's not present in the moment. He's somewhere else. The clues tell them that there's someone out there who has done these things. And they're trying to arrive at conclusions before they're even there. Now, I, I didn't think I have time to do this, but I think it's important. I'm going to read these verses, but I don't think they're up there. Verse 35, Jesus returns to the scene of this so-called crime and addresses the accusers. It says this, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have, been, or you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are, you, are we also blind? Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And Jesus is good for a quick turn of a phrase, right? I mean, geez, I mean, even their, their, their intention to expose himself exposes them and he just lets it be true. Literal blindness in here is this man's former state being trained. That's like we, we have this spiritual, it's, it's a representation of his spiritual journey into being able to see. And obviously it's juxtaposed with the blindness of the Pharisees who are able to physically see but spiritually cannot see what Jesus is doing right in front of them. When we were in um, the preaching collective, uh, there was a, a worship song that came to mind that I, for, for whatever reason, over the last, I don't know, a few months, probably, probably a couple years actually now that I think about it, um, it's a song by a group called Maverick City Music. We play a lot of their songs. We play, I think, one today too. And um, we sing along with them, and it's been a high rotation. It's a song called Jubilee. It comes off of an album that they put out on Juneteenth, um, specifically kind of revolving around justice issues. Um, but what I loved about this is that it reoriented me in a really beautiful way because I can say to you, Jesus heals or Jesus delivers or Jesus does this. And in a Christian community, it's like, yeah, of course it's Jesus. He's always doing things like that, right? But the way that they tell this story in the chorus specifically is they focus on the changed life 
the evidence of what Jesus has done in their life that then points them back in this other direction. And so what I want to do is just play a little bit of it. We won't play the whole thing, just a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus. But I want you to sit in the beauty of someone's divine witness that God's presence changes. And I also wanted to read one more verse to you before we go because it's mostly revolving around this call that's put on Jesus' life explained in Luke 4.16. It says, And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up and read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it is written, and hear this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's speaking about Jubilee in the Old Testament. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we see this play out in Jesus' calling and as he hands that mantle on to his um, people, the, the disciples, and on into our life. Now, I'm a visual learner, so I'm going to put some illustrations up on this board while the song's going. Don't let them distract you. The lyrics will be up there. Verse 1, chorus. Verse 2, chorus. And I want us to process one thing. We'll apply it to our lives, and we'll get out of here for today. But go ahead and uh, let this one play.
aside from the amazing vocals of the Torwaltz and Naomi Rain, who is one of the best of our generation, what I want you to hear is there's these questions they begin to ask. Can you hear it? Can you see it? Do you notice it when it happens? In this song, they say over and over, he's delivered me the witness of someone that he's gone and made me clean. He's rebuilding everything. It's the year of Jubilee. It's somebody who is broken, who's invited to be made whole. Give me some more. What are other things that Jesus does when he's around and his love is present? I just set off someone's Surrey, didn't I? Ha <laughs> ha. What else? Peace. Yeah, we just prayed about that today. What else? Forgives. What else? Belonging. There's joy. He heals. He is what? Food, yep. So you, so you get the point. We could keep going on as we go from story to story. They were just capturing a little bit off of this Luke verse, but this is kind of what, what, when I was interacting with this and we were in their preaching collective, it's like, okay, whatever Jesus touches, something happens. This is like, this is the person that gets affected by it and then eventually they go out and they do something else. They take that aroma. In the, in the preaching class, we kept saying thumbprint. Like the thumbprint or the fingerprint of Jesus gets put on us and then now we have it and we take it out to other people. And then there's these other people who are observers. And they're just watching this happen and they're translating it. Either this is the aroma of life or this is the aroma of death. But no matter what, this evidence, wherever you see it, leads you back to Jesus unless it's not an aroma of life. And so you see this evidence over and over. And I love the way that they said it because, again, I can just point out Jesus does these cool things. Or I can say, wait a minute, if I'm in, in, in Galilee, if I'm in Nazareth and I'm just entering in the city and I'm like, where's Jesus right now? I keep hearing about this guy. He's got to be somewhere. And in the background, I hear someone shout out. I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. I wonder, wonder what that was. Well, I heard he's over this way. I'm going to come hang out over here. And then all of a sudden, someone screams out, I'm free. Whoa, what was that about? Like you can literally track Jesus by the evidence and wherever he's at in this city physically, imagine yourself with your dirty sandals and you're hanging out, man, I got something that I got to bring to Jesus and you're like screams of shouts, eruptions of celebration, evidence of Jesus, just follow the shouts of joy. He's there. Just follow the shouts of joy. And no, oh, sounds like someone got healed. I, I just heard someone scream out for joy over here. No, those Pharisees, they're rough, man. Like, you can go be grumpy and all weird about whatever you're doing over here. But oh, oh, there's another voice screaming out. I'm going to go in that direction. I'm going to go in that direction. And so here's my question as we end Can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you smell it? Can your senses pick up the presence of Christ? If we're standing in a place where we can be participants of it, are you the voice of Jubilee? 
Are you the voice of freedom, of liberty, of new sight, of forgiveness on the streets? That there is a trail of shouts and enjoyment and celebration because your presence has been there with the aroma of Christ. Can you see it and hear it, but can you be it? What's your scent? What's the evidence of love in your life that people can discern and just look at this life because it leads me straight to Jesus when I see them interacting with people, when I see the way that they use their finances, when I see the way that they help people up, when I see the way they defend people who can't defend themselves, when they get in your presence is there shock and awe and wonder and tears of joy because you spoke a word of life into them when they needed hope and they were hopeless. Where do you see it in your life? And that's not an accusation. I think it probably is there. That's not me trying to help you understand it's not there. I want you to identify it in your life and do it more. Where do you see it in our church? And how do we pour more fuel onto that fire so that people can hear the shouts of joy coming out of this sanctuary? And like, dude, I need to find out what's going on in there. And it's like, okay, that's just the evidence. This is where we need you to go. Go back to the source of this joy, of this love. Go back to that. And I want you to hear, like, where, where in our city is the evidence of Christ? And how do we join up with those things that are taking place? Because there's other people who have been so formed and shaped by the life of Jesus that there has to be evidence somewhere out there but I also want to tell you with a little bit of warning make no mistake because if you start setting people free pharaohs get real mad at you and you either stand toe to toe with pharaoh and say let my people go or you buckle under that pressure if you forgive a debt the collectors are going to lose their minds if you pour out an extravagant grace someone will call it unfair it is unfair That's the point. If you help the hurting, Pharisees are going to accuse you. This is not an easy thing to do. In fact, it led Jesus straight to the cross. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. If we follow Christ, this odor gets on us, and it will be good news to some and bad news to others. It's just making sure it's good news for the right people and bad news for the right people. It's life to those who have eyes. It's death to those who can't see. The love of Christ is divisive at times. But if you follow Jesus and you become formed into him, that essence, that love, that aroma will be ruminating. That was the word I was looking for earlier off of you and I'm telling you it is every bit worth the pain that comes with it so I want to pray for us and commission us out today Colin you want to go ahead and come back up as we uh, enter into this I want to lead us through a time of response but first just sit with these things for a little bit Lord surface in our hearts maybe where we lack but also where we're doing this right Mm, yeah so um So where we are rearranging the economies of this world. Father, help us to to put the kingdom of God where we're rearranging the systems of this world. Help us to bring the kingdom of God where we are building out new life and resurrection and ways in which we can just person to person love our neighbors. God, tell us, can we see it? Can we be that? 
And so God, encourage us today. Help us to shore up where we're not formed like you. That's fine. But today, God, just encourage us where we have gotten the odor of you correct. God, help us to be better. we have been understood and, 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 and where we have, have made sense of the kingdom of heaven and worked that out in our lives in some way, shape, or form, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would allow those things to be multiplied in our lives. And so, Father, we lift our voice up to you. We pray for this kind of love. We pray to be shaped and formed by you, God. We pray in your name. That we would love as you have loved. So, Father, we ask for this right now, very powerfully, in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, as we respond today, if you haven't grabbed your elements, I want to just again.